Everybody else can turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 at the very end, starting in verse 35. We'll, we'll go all the way through the first verse of Matthew chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, feel free to use one that's in the back of the pew in front of you, or the scripture is on page 10 of your worship guide. We're wrapping up our, our sermon series on the topic of stewardship this morning. Next week we will begin Advent and head into to Advent sermons as well. So, so Matthew nine thirty five and following. Listen as I read God's word for us. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Let's pray uh, one more time. Heavenly Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you have your your ways of relaxing and kind of escaping, and uh, I certainly have my ways of, of escaping and relaxing the the day today. Uh, one of my one of my maybe more quirky uh, escapes and and ways of reaction relaxing is is to watch um scottish reality farming shows <laughs> i'm not joking um well we get we stream it through the streaming service and but there's this really fun scottish about Scottish farmers called the farming life, uh, and Catherine will walk, walk by the couch when I've when I've got it on, and she'll say, "You know, are you uh, in, in, enjoy being a Scottish farmer for a while?" And I'll say, "I do." Um, interesting people in in a beautiful place with interesting lives and work, and really really cute sheep and cows and and what's not to love about that right although although it is really hard work and i know and i'm under no illusion i would make a really horrible farmer scottish or otherwise uh but but they deal with they farm livestock and especially sheep and they need constant attention and it's it's not just a matter of setting the the animals out into a field to to nibble on grass uh, for for a few months out of the year, and then drawing them into the the barn and throwing hay and stuff at them for the rest of the time. But there's there's treating them for all kinds of of health problems, and and there are routine vitamins and preventative treatments, and dealing with all these kind of acute problems and things that come up. And then there's there's constant, maybe not constant, but there's the cycles of having babies, calves and lambs and checking to know how, what percentage, it's really interesting. This is where I get interested in it. Like what percentage of your, your flock is, is with calf or with lamb and how many are holding twins and how many are singles and, you know, the, the, all of that, helping them to deliver if they need to. And then what to do with the little orphaned ones when that comes about. Like there's, 
There's a lot of life, lots of life on, on the farm. And there's death too, but there's a lot of life on the farm. It's like being a parent to, to hundreds of unruly children who, who want to completely ignore you or just bleat and, and moo at you all day. It's kind of what it's like. But you can't be a good farmer and not be 100% attentive to the needs of your livestock. And that's what draws me into verse 36 here. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like, like sheep without a shepherd. Like livestock without a farmer. Right? Those, those who were supposed to, to be the shepherds of God's people had abandoned them. The, the leaders of Israel that God had, had placed as caretakers of his flock were not living up to their calling. They're not living faithfully to that role that they were put in. They retreated into their own silos of self-righteousness and religiosity. And, and so the owner of the flock shows up. <laughs> And he finds his people like sheep without a shepherd. And his, his love and his compassion for his sheep are what compels him to act. And so the beginning of our passage in verse 35, we see Jesus going throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in 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 their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And so as we've made our way through Matthew chapter 9 in this series on stewardship, we've really been building up to, to something here. We've seen how, how Jesus is the steward of his kingdom, really. That he's proclaiming the good news of his kingdom as he goes about and, and is teaching these people that he's around. But in verses 1 through 8, remember that, that episode with the paralytic that, that he shows himself to be the steward of sinners' hearts as he heals both the body and the heart of this paralyzed man. Healing the man's body is really just evidence of his authority to, to heal this man's deeper need, which is his sin, and to forgive his sin. And then, then verses 9 to 17, Jesus shows himself to be both the steward of both our feasting and our fasting, as his, his heart for sinners moves him towards deep fellowship with unacceptable, undesirable, outcast people. Jesus says to this whole class of people that existed that were known as sinners, you belong with me. He says, I am for you. You are safe with me. But your sin is not safe. Your sin is not safe with me. I will, not, I will not leave you unchanged. Jesus says, I will fight against your sin the way a doctor fights against disease. And then in 18 through 34, Jesus shows himself to be the steward of our wavering faith. That our, our faith doesn't, doesn't merit 
Jesus' love and attention. He doesn't, he doesn't give his love and attention to his, his harassed and helpless sheep because, because of our faith, but our, our faith brings us into contact with and expresses our deepest dependence on Jesus. Our faith uncovers our dependence. So all of that is leading up to this last section of chapter 9, and then I think finally this, this first verse of chapter 10 Jesus' purpose is to offer Himself to the world as the Rescuer and the Redeemer. That, that the Creator has, has entered His creation to defeat and undo the curse of sin. And we're singing Christmas songs. <laughs> we're singing Christmas songs and soon we'll be singing the, the one that says, He comes to make His blessings known as far as the curse is found. That's Jesus' mission. Jesus comes into the world as the creator of the world to push back the curse and ultimately undo the curse and to recreate the world. The infinite God has become a human being bound in space and time. And at this point in his ministry, not even Jesus can tend to every, every single one of his wounded sheep. As a man, he can only be in one place at one time. And so the needs are too great. The hurt is too deep. But Jesus is the steward of the harvest. He's the steward of the harvest and he is calling laborers to go out into the field. So let's look at what Jesus, the steward of the harvest, does here. Jesus, the steward of the harvest, proclaims the fullness of the harvest. Jesus, the steward of the harvest, prays for the gathering of the harvest. And then Jesus, the steward of the harvest, appoints laborers to the harvest. So he proclaims the fullness of the harvest, he prays for the gathering of the harvest, and he appoints laborers to the harvest let's look at first how he proclaims the fullness of the harvest there there's two farming metaphors here right Uh, sheep without a shepherd and the plentiful harvest in the field and and jesus sees the need uh, the the the, jesus sees the need and, and matthew describes the need for us through through the heart and words of jesus he says that jesus looked at the crowds and he saw that they were harassed and they were helpless and the image here is, is of a defenseless sheep who has been attacked by a predator. And, and now the, the lamb is wounded and lying on its side and, and can do nothing for itself. It's harassed and it's helpless. It's been attacked and bloodied. And all it can do is lie where they've been struck down and call out for help. That's what Jesus sees when he sees the crowds that, that follow. And so that's what Jesus' heart responds to as he is going throughout the region, healing every disease and every affliction. And the other, the other metaphor is the fields bearing a plentiful harvest, right? Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. 
Just a few weeks ago, if you had driven south down Highway 61, you would have, you would have seen cotton fields and it would have been easy for you to see that they were ready for harvesting because, because of the, the white cotton that was hanging on, on the plants there. And when, when we lived in the, in the Delta, this metaphor really, really was really effective, as you can imagine, right? Because, because people depended on this harvest coming in for their living. And it was always about timing. There was always a, a limited window in which the harvest could take place. Because at any moment, the weather could go against you. Like too much rain and could ruin, at the wrong time, could ruin an entire season's uh, labor. You had to have labor and machinery ready to go. Jesus looks out onto the field and he sees that the, the harvest is not only ready to go, but it's plentiful. There's, there's lots and lots of work to do to gather it in, but, but oh, it's so worth it. And Jesus is the steward of that harvest and, and he will see that it is gathered in. It's, it's part of his messianic mission. One of, the, one of the prophetic passages that you're likely to hear in the coming weeks as we journey through Advent and prepare our, our hearts to receive the incarnate God of the universe, the creator entering his creation, is from Micah 5.4. It says, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. That he will not leave his sheep to language, lang- languish under the, the curse of sin and the weight of death. He says in verse 38, Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It's his harvest. It's the harvest belonging to the Lord of the harvest. And so that begs the question, really, who, who or what is the harvest? You are the harvest. <laughs> we, we are the harvest. You are the fruit the steward of the harvest earnestly desires. Earnestly desires to be, to be gathered in. The steward of the harvest is also the good shepherd who will guard and protect his sheep, binding their wounds with his own life. You and all of those who will hear and respond to God's word, the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus has been proclaiming as he moves throughout the cities and villages and the town, all of God's people throughout all of time, you are the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. That's Jesus' joyful declaration over his people, over this harvest, over you. That's the fullness that Jesus longs for in this harvest that he sees ready to be gathered in. So Jesus, the steward of the harvest, proclaims the fullness of the harvest, and then he, he prays for the gathering of the harvest. Jesus is eager. He's eager to gather in this harvest. The the irony is that that he's appointed this task for others. He's the steward of the harvest. He's the owner of the harvest. He makes the harvest to, to grow, but he chooses to use others to gather that harvest in. 
And so Jesus assembles his disciples and he, he prays with them for the harvest. Verse 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Instead of giving a, giving a motivational speech, <laughs> instead of setting up a table in the narthex and calling for volunteers and and he doesn't say, you know, if, if you don't serve and if you don't volunteer, nobody will. He doesn't do that. He doesn't motivate by guilt. One, one time at a church leadership training, the, the speaker finished, finished his, his training and, and about, about this topic. And he said, you know, much of what, of what I just said, that we don't motivate by guilt. And someone from the front asked, well... If we don't motivate by guilt, what else is there? And then somebody in the back yelled out, fear. (laughs) (laughs) It's so tempting to view ministry that way and serve Jesus out of either guilt or fear. But Jesus doesn't lead his church that way. He doesn't call people to his service that way. He lays out the need, and he prays for the need. He describes the harvest and then calls for prayers for the harvest. Actually, he he tells his disciples to go pray. He tells his disciples to pray earnestly. And so what are we to do? Pray and listen. Pray and listen. How is Jesus calling you to respond to his stewardship? His stewardship of your sinful heart? His stewardship of your feasting and fasting, celebration and mourning? Stewardship of your weak and imperfect faith? Pray and listen. Because the call to serve Jesus is not easy. But good news. (laughs) It's a call of grace. Before Matthew suffered in serving Jesus, Jesus dined at his house. Before we are sent, we are saved. Our going and our serving are a response to God's love for us that comes first. God does not love us because we go and serve. Remember, we go out and serve our neighbors as those who love and are loved by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Jesus, the steward of the harvest, proclaims the fullness of the harvest. He prays for the gathering of the harvest, and then he appoints laborers to the harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every desire or every disease and every affliction. So Jesus is the Lord of the harvest in verse 38, and the Lord of the harvest is going to answer his disciples' prayers by sending them. Pray and listen. We pray and we listen to the needs. 
listen and try to discern the Lord's calling. He calls us in in lots of different ways. He calls us through the gifts that He gives us. Someone who uh, has no aptitude or ability to teach probably isn't called to teach. Someone who doesn't you know, really love children probably isn't called to work with children. He calls us through the opportunities and needs He places before us. He calls us through other brothers and sisters who, who see things in us that, that we don't see in ourselves. Unlikely leaders can be called that way. He calls us to be faithful and productive in, in all of the circumstances of our lives. In all of the, the rich life stages of marriage and family, to be faithful presence to our spouses and children. He calls us in all of the rich life stages of singleness to be a faithful presence to our, our families, our friends, and our neighbors. We pray and listen to needs and then we act. We act with, with an expectation that the, the resources of God will be given for whatever calling we're responding to. Jesus, Jesus goes around the region and he's, he's proclaiming this gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. And we've seen him, as he's doing this, we've seen him casting out demons and, and we've seen him healing every disease and every affliction. And then what does he call his disciples to do? We're, we're amazed, but not surprised when Jesus does it. We expect that of Jesus. But he calls his disciples and he sends them out. And after he calls them, he gives them the authority to do the very same work that he himself has been doing. The calling to participate in the harvest is not easy. But the Lord of the harvest is faithful. He gives his workers exactly what they need. Where does, where does all this begin? What's the starting point? It begins by trusting the Lord and steward of the harvest. It begins by, by trusting Him. First, trust Him to heal and save you from your own sin and brokenness. Like the paralytic, your deepest need isn't, it's not physical or material. It's that you're spiritually dead in your trespasses and sins. We read that this morning during our confession of sin. So trust Him for your life. His perfect life of obedience for your sinful life of disobedience. And then He takes the curse and punishment for your sins and gives you the reward of everlasting life. That's good news. That's the good news of the kingdom of God. By grace you have been saved, not by your volunteerism, 
Not by your, your prayers. Not by your good works. But by His grace. By the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that calls you out of your trespasses and sins to a new life of, of selfless sacrifice. That first you trust Him with your life and with your salvation and then you find your identity in Him and after that, only then do you let your activity flow out of a heart of gratitude that comes from knowing you're safe. That He is, he is seated at the table with you. and That He has seated you at His table. You who once were His enemy have been adopted into his family. As we come to this table, that's what we're doing. We're proclaiming this wonderful, glorious adoption into the family of God, this this identity that we have been given by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As we come and share this feast this morning, we come and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom of God. So first, find your identity in Christ. And then let your activity in serving the Lord of the harvest flow from that. Respond in gratitude to the gift of salvation by praying and listening to His call. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We long to hear from you. As your, as your sheep, as your people, as the sheep of your pasture, you're, you're our good shepherd. And we long to hear the voice of our good shepherd calling us, calling us to gather, calling us to safety, calling us to his protection and provision and his, his healing and disciplining hand. We, we long as the sheep of your pasture to, to be gathered into your flock and, and, and find there the safety and comfort of your mercy and goodness and grace. Lord, as we gather this morning, give us that gift. Draw us closer to you as your people. Lord, call us to work that glorifies you, that uses our gifts and the way that you have wired us and made us to further your kingdom and to proclaim the good news of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to, to allow us to worship and delight in you more richly and deeply and fully to demonstrate to those around us the mercy that we've been shown as people of kindness and compassion and love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Lord, grow in us the fruits of, of the Spirit so that we might harvest maturity and growth and grace and be further effect, further, more effective instruments of, of Your mercy and grace. Lord, we, we pray that you would, uh, as, we, as we celebrate in the coming weeks, you would focus our attention on you. Uh, that you would allow the, the decorations and the, the songs and the celebrations to, to point us to the true and deep meaning of your goodness to us.
Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in us and help us. Um, We pray all of these things in Jesus' name.